Welcome to Your Family Dog, a podcast dedicated to helping families love living with dogs. Welcome back to the Your Family Dog podcast. I'm Tina Spring, and I'm joined today by my smart and pretty co-host, Julie Fudge-Smith. And today we're going to talk about a video that was released a few days ago, um, earlier in January of 2023, from Happy Hounds Dog Training. And I apologize, the 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 person who created the video did not include their name. And I'm, well, I haven't dug into it to try to find her name. She did a phenomenal job, right? I want to upfront personal say she put into a 13-minute video what I have been trying to explain to people for a really long time. And so I'm so grateful to have this video to share with all of you uh, and and to discuss on the podcast today. And maybe we'll reach out to her and see if she'll come visit, because I think it would be a really interesting segment. So the, the premise of the video is when people say that force-free or positive reinforcement dog training doesn't work, why that may have been their experience and then unpacks why even though that was their experience, it might be as simple as they're using a tool the wrong way. And so that has definitely been my experience when I'm working with families who have learned other methods of training dogs in the past, often from their parents or their grandparents. And now they're stepping into uh, into a space with a new dog or an existing dog And we're asking them to have a big paradigm shift to switching to a different modality of training. So now that we've, I've introduced the video, Julie, I know you just finished watching it. Do you have any takeaways from the video that you'd like to discuss? Um, Yeah. uh, I, first of all, I want to agree with you that um, the woman who did the video did a great job. She did a wonderful job of, of addressing it full on and talking about the mistakes that people make with force-free or positive reinforcement training so that it doesn't work because it doesn't work for some people. And it's usually because you're not doing it correctly. And so I, and I appreciate the examples that she used. I'll let you discuss the ABC one because I think you have a good take on that. But the thing that I think was just the most important part was her talking about what positive reinforcement can do for you. And the fact that if you do it correctly, you will get the results. Not only will you get the results for the behavior that you want or to change the behavior that you want to change, but in addition, you will get a dog who is active and curious and engaged with you because Force-free training does nothing to intimidate or scare your dog so that it can be a full and engaged creature. And she mentioned four parts of positive reinforcement training that I think are really important for people to understand. That your progress must match the learner. It's kind of like I have two different daughters. And we know when I went to teach them something, I had to start with where they were, each of them individually. When they were learning to ride horses, Ellie was older and she had done it a little bit more. So she got to jump before Emma did. Emma became a fine jumper. But we had to work with where each one of them was at the time to get them to where they wanted to be safely and correctly. And so you you have to make your progression match where your learner is, where they start, and where you want to go. 
And I think that's the, one of the hardest pieces for families because they want to go on the walk. And I'm like, your dog can't go on a walk yet. Right. right? And, it, and it used to be that I would try to give them, um, give them tools to try to bridge it. And now I don't bridge it anymore. Instead, I give them criteria. And we talk about a lot of the things that are in this video about if your dog doesn't notice you in the front yard, you can't go for a walk around the block in downtown Toronto. You can't. That walk, Your dog's not going to walk nicely on a leash. They're going to be reactive to everything they see, and you can't help them. So it it is that example of kind of throwing someone who doesn't know really how to even dog paddle into the deep end of the pool during the Olympics. Like it's too much too fast. It doesn't mean we won't get there. Well, we might not get to the Olympics, but we will get to a place of polite leash walking as the dog's skill and frankly, the handler's skill improves. And the surrender of that, that the dog sets the pace, the learner sets the pace, and that if I want to, if you want to go for a walk, go alone, leave the dog home. The dog's not ready because there's huge fallout to taking the dog on a walk that's awful, that's learning all the wrong things. Then we got to dig out of a hole. That's like even worse than we can't do it successfully on our own. I agree. And it's also very freeing. I think when you, when you accept that, wait a minute, I'm going to start, it's, it's kind of like I wrote, a, I wrote a blog once called Love the Dog You're With or Love the Dog You Have. Not the dog you think you have, not the dog you wish you have. Let's work with the dog you actually have. And I think when you can take that step back and recognize where your dog is right now and that we're going to match our teaching to where he's at so he can become the dog that you want him to be, it's very freeing. The second thing she talked about was dog knowledge. And this is something you and I have talked a lot about. Colleen and I talked about, I talk about with every single client. We spend one, almost one full session talking about dog body language because you can't know how to progress your dog if you don't understand what your dog is telling you about that progression. So it's really important to understand body language and thresholds and all these things that we talked about in your particular dog so you know how far you can go and when you need to back up because you've gotten too close to threshold. And if you don't understand dog body language, you don't understand what a threshold is, it's not going to work. Well, and sometimes threshold's hard to see. It For is. example, it is. If, you're, if I'm dealing with a young puppy, it could just be fatigue. Well, my no puppy I've ever seen has a little bar graph on their shoulder that tells us how tired they are. Right. I have to read the overall communication of the puppy to see what the puppy thinks. And puppies will push through a lot of fatigue just to make us happy, just because oh, there's hot dog. And now you switch to string cheese and that's a little bit of sweet potato. Oh, my goodness. It's the most exciting thing in the world. And all of a sudden they just fall apart. Right. So owners, some handlers sometimes lose heart. When it's just part of the learning, it, I try to explain to people all the time that if we're doing a good job, the lead goes back and forth between the handler and the dog, right? It's a dance that we are all doing together. We are learning together. So if you look at me train and work with my four dogs, 
it's different with each one, even though the overarching modality is the same. Right. Right. Well, I was just thinking about um, my grand puppy, Rosemary. And um, when she was just a, I don't know, maybe two, three, two and a half months old, I went over to, to take care of her for a little bit while Emma had some errands to run with the kids. And we got her out of her crate. We went outside, we went potty, and then we played. And when she dropped the toy, rather than bringing it back to me, I went, oh, I think we're tired. And so we did some stuff to calm down. And then she just took the toy I gave her and snuggled up with it and went to sleep. But I was able to recognize it for Rosemary, when she drops the toy and stops moving, boom, that's the time for us to shift into something quiet. So it's getting to know your dog and what your dog's signals particularly are. And especially for young dogs, like they might be cutting a tooth. They might have a headache. Like there are things going on with our dogs. I mean, I, I think about it. I'm still nursing these ribs. It augments my behavior. I don't move the way I normally move. Now, now, am I constantly thinking about my ribs? Absolutely not. But they are informing lots of things, including how hard I'm going to hug somebody at a funeral, right? Or how many hugs, um, or whether I'm going to hug the person who's 6'4". Because reaching up and overextending my rib cage to hug someone around the neck when they're six, four and I'm five, three does light up my ribs and I don't want to re-injure them. So it doesn't mean I don't love the person, right? I think a lot of times we take a dog not being ready for something really personally. And part of that, I mean, I do it. I have to struggle with it too, is that I'm busy. So if I'm setting aside this 15 minutes to work with Dovey, I kind of want him to just plug in and do what I want him to do. But I have to remember, he's not a computer. He's not a, he's not a little game boy that I can just pick up and turn on and off at will. He may be really, really interested in smelling the bunnies across the way. And I might just have to wait a minute. Right. The other thing is, is sometimes I find like I, there, there may be a particular behavior that I want to work on. Let, let's work on down today or let's work on stay. And the dog's like, no, I don't want to work on that today. I would be happy to work on calm. So we'll work on calm. I mean, part of it is is being able to read the dog and being able to, to be flexible enough in your training to say, okay, we're still going to use positive reinforcement training. So you don't want to work on stay today because you're a little anxious, but you're more than happy to work on calm. Great. We're just going to shift gears and work on your recall today. And so I think that there's the part of dog knowledge comes with being willing to be flexible once you read what your dog is telling you. Then the third thing she talks about, and this is something that I have encountered a lot, is proper reinforcement timing. It's a reinforcement or a reward comes after the behavior, but it's also important that it become proximate to the behavior. Because as close to the behavior as it is, the more likely the dog is going to make that connection between oh, that's what you wanted. I got a treat. So that, okay, what did I just do? I just put my butt on the ground and I got a piece of hot dog. Yay. Maybe if I put my bottom on the ground again, I'll get another piece of hot dog. Whereas, and she had a great section in the, in the video on that. If, for example, your dog puts his bottom on the ground, you fumble for a treat. He stands up, you give him the treat. What did you just reward? You actually rewarded him standing up, not for the sit. So that's why she talks about the importance of having a marker, 
like marker words like yes or yay or yippee or a clicker so that when the behavior happens and the dog understands that click means a treat's followed, begin to make the association with, oh, that click means what I did means I'm going to get a treat. So that helps to bridge that behavior. Well, I mean, we, we tell a child when we're doing flashcards with them, good job. You got it right. Right. They get the feedback immediately like, oh, try again. You're close or you got it right. Right. So this is the same thing. You you and I would want to learn that way. We the human brain. We talk about this all the time is programmed to the negative. Like we're really good at ah the gotcha. You're doing it wrong. I must be doing it right. When when the answer is that catching doing it right is better for us, the human animal and for the the dog, the cat, the goldfish, the kiddo, the horse. Right. It's better for both sides of the, I don't know, the collar of the hot dog, both sides of the hot dog are better served by practicing catching it right. And when when an error is made, going, okay, let's unpack that a little bit. Like, what can we adjust that increases the likelihood that we're going to get the outcome we want, right? That that the learner is going to make the right choice. Which partly goes back to you know, make the progress match the learner. So if I'm asking you to sit in the kitchen and it's going really well, but let's go out in the living room where there's a big window, picture window that looks out onto the the busy street and there's squirrels and trees and stuff, it might be a lot harder to do a sit and I might not be ready for that. You know, but if you do offer me the sit, I'm probably going to reward you better than in the kitchen because you gave me a sit in a more difficult environment. You chose the behavior that I wanted you to do. I'm going to let you know, I know that was hard for you to hear me. So here's a better reward. Here's two or three pieces of hot dogs because I've asked you to do something that may be a simple behavior in a more difficult situation. And so proper reinforcement is not just about timing, but it's also about the quality of the reinforcement. She didn't talk about that, but that's part of the timing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's a phenomenal video. She did a fantastic job. There's lots of nuance that goes into it. Like it's not going to change the world in 13 minutes. Right. So, right. No, but so, it's going to come close. It's going to come really close. It's <laughs> a phenomenal job. Like I really wish I could shout out her name. So the, one of the things I would say is we are, we tend to go what feels good right now. Dogs, I think honestly do the same thing. I don't know that they're capable of the statement I'm about to make. I am trying to make decisions for future me. What is going to benefit me in a year, in five years, in 10 years, in 20 years when I'm 95, right? The decisions I make, like if I eat this creme brulee, it's going to feel really good in the moment. But is that serving my future self? If I, if I buy this sweatshirt that's super cute and is in the color I like, yes, it'll be rewarding right now, but how is 95-year-old me going to look back on that purchase? Right now, that's not to say that I'm not going to occasionally eat creme brulee. It was my birthday. I'm eating some creme brulee. That's okay. But I'm at least running it through a lens of... What am I learning for the future? If I suddenly decided creme brulee was my new breakfast, that's probably not great for ni- for 95-year-old me, right? The manifestation of that over time would be really probably pretty unhealthy, but yummy. 
right? So part of it is, I think, People are just trying to survive their day. And I know that I face this in my house with my youngest dog. I'm in a hurry from going from this activity to the next activity. I have a calendar. I have a schedule I have to keep. And sometimes I don't take the time to wait until his arousal comes down. Sometimes I forget to grab the hot dogs or forget to grab the leash or forget the blah, blah, blah. And then it's mayhem and foolishness. And then I'm all mad at him and, you know, all of that. In addition, I have another adult in the house who helps manage this dog who is not a dog trainer and who also is just trying to make it through his day. And sometimes unintentionally, contributes to exactly the behaviors we're trying to get rid of. So there's, I'm trying to be much more hygienic about those conversations and showing Christopher, this is how I'm working on problem X. It's that there's a gap in learning. What I think should be happening between the dog and I, and what the dog thinks should be happening between the dog and I are two really fantastically different things. Yes. Yes, I, I agree. Then the fourth thing that she talks about, in addition to make your progress match the learner, understand, you know, have good dog knowledge, proper reinforcement timing, is patience. Because she does come right out front and say, positive reinforcement training or force-free training takes time. Because you're working with the dog to teach a new behavior, a desired behavior, to reinforce in the in a progress that makes sense to the dog, to get them to the skill you want them to learn, takes patience and time. The problem with corrections or force-based training is that it is quick and it corrects a behavior. So it stops a behavior, an undesired behavior. But what it doesn't do is teach a new behavior. And what it doesn't do is instill confidence and trust and joy in your dog. What it does instill is intimidation, trauma, pain, and distrust. It gets rid of a, of, a, of an undesirable behavior, but it doesn't instill a new behavior. And in, there's some emotional fallout to it. Of course. Now, I don't. I will say that I sometimes struggle with this notion that we can somehow play hot, cold with only hot, right? As if you can never tell your dog that they made an error or no, you're not allowed to do that. And I don't think Julie nor I are saying that. My dogs, once they know a behavior, they're fluent in the skill under any of the conditions I'm putting them in. If they still make an incorrect decision, we're going to have a conversation about that. I'm going to say, uh-oh, you're not doing what I asked you to do. Like, what's going on? Like, we're going to go back and we're going to work on that the same way I would with a child or the same way I would with another human. I'm not going to suddenly go to guns and, like, scream and yell, hopefully. Hopefully, I have my wits about me and I'm not going to go to guns and start screaming and yelling. I'm also not going to assume the dog's being stubborn. The dog's being a jerk. The dog is being mean. The dog is punishing me. Right. Like I'm not I'm also not going to buy into any of that hooey either, because, frankly, there's a reason the behavior is happening. And often it's anxiety or pain or they're not feeling well or they slept funny or they're just distracted or they or they're busy living their dog life. And they're not as invested in what you want. Like I 
I have a lot of get along. I love the people around me. I, I want everybody to be happy and get along. But sometimes I just don't want to do the thing. That doesn't mean I'm being spiteful or stubborn. It just means I don't I don't want to do that. Right. And I don't particularly like coconut. So if there's coconut on the brownies, I'm not going to eat them. It doesn't mean I think you're a jerk and I hate you and I'm being disrespectful and stubborn. It means I just don't like coconut. I don't like coconut either. So I guess this is the your family dog and dislike coconut podcast because I don't care for it either. (laughs) So so if I have a dog who I know that certain things are just not their jam, then I'm going to one, see if I can figure out another way to get it done that is more in keeping with the dog's jam. And then I'm also going to lower criteria and make it much more rewarding to do the thing I want them to do, especially because they don't really love it. Right. And that's where reinforcing more heavily or with better rewards can really make a difference in the progression of that behavior. Because you're saying, yeah, I get this. This is hard for you or you don't like this, but I'm going to make it worth your while to do this. So I sometimes find that that I need to, depending on the, the difficulty of the situation or the difficulty of the behavior or the desire of the dog, I'm going to modify things so that it's it's easier for them. I'm trying to meet them where they're at and say, yeah, I get this. But this is a necessary behavior, whatever that may be. So let's work on it in a way that works for you. Right. And that's really where the beauty of cooperative care, I I, I say it all the time that um, Dr. Deborah Jones, cooperative care, seven steps to stress-free husbandry. If I could get every customer I deal with to grab a hold of that book and work through it, genuinely work through the book, it would change the world for dogs and people because we would learn to stop picking at scabs right? Like you can't start on toenails if you've already run that off in the ditch. Um, You have to start where the dog is comfortable. And that might mean, that might mean six months from toenails and that's okay. That is totally okay. Right. And the power of giving your dog permission to say, no, thanks. I need a break. It doesn't mean we're never going to do it. It just means this moment I need a break. So things don't escalate. Right. And we do that with our kids. We do that with our partners. Um, I tell this story a lot. There was a time our cat was really sick and the care of the cat was kind of all encompassing. And he was vomiting, gross, disgusting cat vomit everywhere. So he was like getting a variety of meds on like this schedule that was really hard to wrangle. And so I it was a Sunday. I went to work to teach puppy class. I came home in between appointments. I knew I was going to have to go out and teach again, but I had a window of time I could come home and relieve Chris from cat caretaking responsibilities. Cause of course, Chris has other stuff he likes to do or needs to do on, you know, his, his list of things he's doing, living his life. Uh, and so I came in and said something like, um, when did the cat eat? And apparently what I said and what Christopher heard was really different because I was genuinely asking where we are in the meds and feeding schedule. And what Christopher heard was like, I don't know, me saying his mom wears army boots and that his values and integrity are in question and that I don't really love him anymore. 
<laughs> so he like all of a sudden I get this this like hissy grouchy dude which he's not prone to kind of response and I just fortunately I was really tired so I could stop I had a little bit of space and I said hey I I'm not fighting like I don't know why we're fighting I'm not fighting I was just asking where we are in the care schedule for the cat because I know it's a pain in the butt so that I can relieve you of wherever we are while I'm home and then hand it back off to you. And he immediately, when I said, I wasn't saying anything mean to you, I was just asking for navigation points. He immediately settled, right? Our dogs do the same thing. Like there's just miscommunications that happen. They happen with our partners. They happen with our coworkers, our friends, our kids. And there's a little bit of like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's not push that. Let's pull it apart and see what's going on and how we can fix it. Because generally, we don't want to argue. Right. Well, the other thing I was going to say is, is that is another reason why you want to use positive reinforcement training. Because there's nothing about positive reinforcement training that's going to be deleterious to your relationship to your dog. In fact, it builds the relationship based on cooperation and trust with your dog and allowing the dog to be fully canine and fully dog and joyous and to learn at his pace really builds the relationship so that when you do make a mistake, there's opportunities for forgiveness on both sides. And we do, and we do make mistakes. Like we accidentally scare them. We sit on them. We step on their paw. Like we do make mistakes and we wouldn't want the dog to be like, creating like opening up a big lawsuit about all the ways that were awful and assuming like she stepped on me on purpose or she scared me in the bedroom while I was sleeping on purpose. Like I don't want them building a case either. Right. And, and that's why positive reinforcement training will help you build that relationship that communicates effectively because you, they understand how you're communicating with them. They understand the rules of the game. And so when you make a mistake, they're much more willing to say, oh, hey, I get that. But if you're using force-based training and you're not building that relationship that's built on cooperation, trust, and good communication, when you make a mistake, the dog's not sure what's happening. Is this a punishment? Did, I, did she step on my paw on purpose? Should I be scared? What did I do wrong? I was just lying here. Am I not supposed to lie here? I thought I could lie here. And I think you really increase the anxiety in your dog. So I think that that there not only does training become more effective and eventually your dog becomes much more responsive to training and responsive to you if you have the patience to do this correctly. But I think that what we need to do is remember that this is a 10-year for most of us, a 10 plus year commitment to an individual. And I want to build a relationship that's going to endure positively for that full amount of time that I have with this dog. And that's going to happen by being respectful of the sentience and the qualities and the beauty of being a dog. And I'm only going to be able to do that if I'm reinforcing those behaviors that I want, that I enjoy, that they, well, in a matter of most of the time, what they enjoy too, and build that relationship. And again, Julie and I are not saying be permissive, right? We still have to keep them safe. They do 
There are times that we do have to usurp their authority. Our goal, though, is that the behavior, the the relationship is strong enough that that doesn't reach a breaking point. Right. Today, um, two things happened. One with Zuzu and one with Clementine. Um, Zuzu was outside the bathroom door. I knew she was outside the bathroom door. What I didn't know was that she was right outside the bathroom door. So that when I opened the door, the door went over her paw, which hurt. And I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I had no idea you were that close to the door. You know, and, and I, I checked her paw and it was okay. And I, you know, hugged her and petted her and, and you know, gave her a little treat because I had one in my pocket. And she forgave me. And things were okay. And I don't think it traumatized her too terribly because I think she trusted that I didn't intend to hurt her. And then today, Clementine, I, my grandkids came over and um, Clementine, they take their shoes off at the front door. And then Clementine likes to pick one of them up and run around with them, and which is not necessarily what we want Clementine to do. So when she had one of Edward's shoes, I went, oh, Clemmy, come here. And I and as she was walking over to me, Edward came up with a toy and squeaked it for Clemmy. She dropped the shoe, grabbed the toy, and the two of them went off to play. So because Clementine, what he knew instinctively is that Clementine wanted to play. So let's give her something that's appropriate to play with. And so there was no punishment there. And in fact, I was reaching for a treat at the same time Edward came up with a toy. So that the toy hadn't worked, if it wasn't a valuable enough toy, I could have offered her a treat. In fact, I got her to drop a, 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 mil, a Himalayan yak milk chew that was too small by offering her another treat so I could put the yak milk chew in the microwave and blow it up so it was a proper size yak milk chew, which I gave back to her later. So I think, you know, that kind of thing is is built on on trust. I, I don't normally just rip things out of Clementine's mouth. You know, there's always something, I'll try to offer something that of equal or greater value. So I think that she was willing to listen to the offers we had to make because there was no downside for her. Well, and even if there was a do- downside, we can we can soften it for them usually. Right. We can make that a softer landing. So the other thing I would say is that this does sometimes put conflict with uh, a peer group. And and there was a horse post on on Facebook this week about the tradition. It can just be trauma that gets transferred downward through the generations. Right. And in, in the horse world, there's been a tremendous amount of abuse to horses that was that was how you had to do it. Like you had to be heavy handed and you had to hurt them. And if you didn't, that was going to result in an in an animal that just had no manners and was going to accidentally kill you. Um, and and just like in the dog industry, we are learning that that's it's not best practices. But but again, I could go to a horse trainer tomorrow who still is using those modalities because that's what they were taught they had to do. They don't enjoy it, right? I am a crossover trainer. I started out with very traditional dog training methods. I was taught that's what you had to do, or you, you know, the dogs would run amok. It was based on teach the behavior. So for example, I'll give you a cliff notes version. It was like, teach the dog to sit. Now take them out in public. And if you ask them to sit and they don't sit, Give them a a leash correction. And when they sit, tell them they're a good dog. So it was based on the dog breaking, me telling them, no, don't break, 
<laughs> I'm going to do that the next time I drop a plate. I'm going to tell it not to break. Right. And then when it finally can do what I ask it to do, like, good job. Whoopee. Whoopee. Right. So, so again, this is like, yeah, you might glue the plate back together. But that plate has cognitive dissonance, if you ask me. Potentially. And doesn't really like being picked up anymore, probably. Like, no, sure right? doesn't. Because so, I'm prone to crack in exactly the same spot. But again, like, I was taught that that was the only way to do it. That that was the right way. It wasn't mean. It didn't hurt the dog. It was good for the dog. Then the dog saw me as someone that the dog could trust. Well, I don't know about you, but if every, you know, if I made a mistake because I got nervous about something or I was overwhelmed and you were kind of mean to me, even softly, until I got it right, I don't know that I'd view you as all that trustworthy. No. And I sure as heck would be really leery. And the other thing is, is I would also be very hesitant to try anything new. What I would do is like, okay, um, if the only way she's not going to get cranky with me is if I sit, then I'm not moving. I'm just going to sit. Right. And I think that's what you also see with, with force-based dogs is they begin to lose that curiosity and that innate dogginess of being, of wanting to explore things. Because what they don't know is, is this going to hurt or am I going to get a cookie? And that that's just and it, crazy making. It would make and me again, crazy. If, if I love my dogs, I have always loved my dogs. Heck, dogs were safer than people for the most part. Like, I would have never knowingly caused suffering to my dogs. Like, that is not who I am. And those methods I was taught, that was how our family dogs were trained. And I had to learn a different way. And it's really easy for those old modalities to kind of ick in there and to, to forget the magic that I have to divorce myself from those methods and recreate something new because I kind of want the shorthand just like everyone else. I want the fairy godmother wand that in three repetitions, the dog figures it out and we're brilliant and we don't ever have to review that ever again. And that universe does not really exist whether you're using hot dog or a shock collar, honestly. No, absolutely. Like, absolutely. It does not It doesn't work, work that way. And it all you do is increase a dog's threshold for anxiety, I find. So I will say that positive reinforcement-based training methods get a bad rap because they require more skill by the handler. They require more patience by the handler. They are also more forgiving from a timing perspective, right? Correction-based training, the timing has to be perfect. In a perfect world, you would be able to, to manage, to inform what the dog is attaching the punishment to. But that isn't always possible. That's right. And that's one of the things because, what, for example, if a dog is is jumping, you're supposed to correct them. But most people don't correct the dog at the apex of the jump. They correct the dog as he's coming back down. And that's not correcting the jumping. Well, so, okay, I'm going to tell you, as, a, as someone who started out as an aversive trainer, you don't, I'm not going to punish when the dog's at the top of the jump. I'm going to punish when the dog makes the decision to jump. If you're doing it when the dog's already in the air, you're doing it wrong. Like, we need to hold ourselves as the teacher 
more accountable for skill. And again, I'm not going to give a dog a big correction for jumping. I'm going to manage my dog differently so they can't jump. And I'm also going to potentially not, well, I'm not going to put my dog in a situation where a human who doesn't listen to me, when I say we're working on this and the, you're not allowed to say hello to my dog, um, if the person won't listen to me, we're not going to be in that situation because it matters to me that my dog is polite around other people. I don't, I don't want all the fallout and someone, someone being mad at me. Cause I said, no, you're not allowed to say hello to my dog is the least of my problems. They'll be onto something else to be upset about later. I am much more invested in the dog I live with and that they know I'm not going to put them in a situation they can't handle. So I do a lot of saying it's kind of, it's kind of addictive to get to be the hero, right? To get to be the person who loves your dog best, who is their best friend. And that that is reflected on both sides of the hot dog, that that the dog understands I have their back and that I understand that it's not all about me either, that if the dog's not ready, then I either cannot do it or I've got training to do because we're not ready yet. And that's OK. Right. Right. I, I agree. So I think that what we would would encourage you to do is, is to take a look at the video. And just reflect on some of the things she talks about and, and how does this work in your world? And if positive reinforcement training is not going well for you, find yourself a, a, a good trainer, somebody who, who has been in the business for a while, has a, perhaps has a CPDT behind their name and get some help so that you do do it correctly because it will work and it will give you the dog that you want, and it will give you the skills that you need. And, and there are skills involved. There's no doubt about that. And there are a lot of, I see a lot of professional trainers who use it wrong. Yeah. Like there are probably times that I am a professional trainer who sometimes messily uses it wrong because I'm in a hurry or I misunderstand or my timing's bad or whatever. But right? you know what? I would much rather live with an ill-timed treat than an ill time correction. If the worst thing that's going to happen is your dog gets a treat at the wrong time, I can live with that. Right. And what I would say, like, so my dogs have, there's like a hierarchy of, hey, I think you're getting it wrong, right? There is no, which means you are never allowed to do that. That is dangerous. That is not ever allowed. That also was the rule with my kids. No meant we're not doing that ever, right? pooping on the dining room table. I've yet to find a family that that's okay because everybody everybody's house has different rules. So getting on the kitchen table and taking a poop, always a no. We are not, we're not doing that. My dogs also get uh-oh, which is like, oh, oh, I think you're going to make a mistake. That might've been a mistake, right? So like, and again, this is controversial in the dog world. I use what's called a no reward marker, which says to the dog, that's not it. You're not going to get rewarded for that so that the dog isn't heartbroken and just doing the thing I don't want them to do bigger and bigger because maybe I didn't notice. Right. So it in my experience, and there will be lots of trainers who disagree with me, but in my experience, giving a dog a no reward marker, not that, that's not what I asked for right now, means you, you've made a mistake. But it, from my perspective, it allows a dog to take that off their list for right now. 
without any other fallout, like nothing mean happens. I just go, yeah, that's not what we're doing right now. Let me try this again. I end the repetition. I might even reset what we're doing, help the dog a little bit, and then ask for the other thing again, depending on where the miscommunication happened. Like uh, earlier today, I asked Dovi to do something and they were trimming the trees in the transmission line and he got distracted. So he got an uh uh-oh because he didn't hear me because his brain was looking at a bucket truck. Um, When he checked back in, I welcomed him back onto the planet. Like, hey, you're right. I'm still here. What a smart dog you are. I'm like, could you please sit for me? He said, absolutely. Now I can do that thing, right? He couldn't do it when he was focused on the bucket truck. I can't control the bucket truck. But but it was, I was a soft place for him to land. I didn't assume he was a jerk who was ignoring me. Because imagine the fallout of that in the relationship. Yes, no, I, I get that completely, and, and, and um, I agree. So I think, just to wrap this up, I think what we'd like you to do is to understand that, that you know, positive reinforcement training does work. It does work when it's done correctly, but you have to commit to doing it correctly, too. And this is a great little video. She's got some other ones that I also really liked. We think that uh, it's worth taking a look at and giving some serious thought to what is the relationship you want to have with your dog? Not just now, when you're perhaps actively training, but what's the relationship that you want to create a base for? And that may definitely inform the decision you make on how you want to train your dog. So anyway, thank you for joining us on Your Family Dog today. We hope that uh, you enjoy our topics. If you have an idea of something you'd like us to talk about, we would love to hear it. You can send that idea to feedback at yourfamilydogpodcast.com. Anything else, Tina? No, I think that's it for this week. I hope everybody, I hope everyone is enjoying their January and settling into uh, the new year. Congratulations to the, the Georgia Bulldogs for their win. Um, I was I was super happy for the students and the athletes in the school. I know that's a big deal to them and they've worked really hard to get there. So I was, all of the teams should be congratulated. Um, I was a little conflicted by Ohio state to be fair. They played their hearts out. Um, And it was one of those games that UGA won that I was like, Oh, like I want UGA to win. Cause you know, I live here, but I also can admire that Ohio state played their heart out. So that, and we still have the best damn band in the land. So, okay. you know, I mean, red coat's pretty darn good too, but okay. Um, so yeah, so there is a little bit of, um, there's some good stuff happening. Try to focus on the good and try to interrupt what's going on with the bad and come in it a new way and see if you can't find a softer way, a softer way to land for ourselves and for our dogs and our cats and our kids and our that's right, because it's better for both sides of the hot dog. Yeah, we all feel better when it's just a softer landing. All right. See you next time. Thanks for listening to Your Family Dog. Got questions? Interesting ideas? Visit www.yourfamilydogpodcast.com to share your thoughts.